What's up, Neil? What's up, Joe? How's it going, buddy? It's going well. How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, it's good to see you, man. It's probably been, I think, like five or six years. Yeah, and Thanksgiving games don't count. Yeah, like <laughs> high school marching man football yep. games. Mm-hmm. The big reunion. Did you happen to go to the North Brunswick one? No, Komar told everyone it was like on Wednesday, not actually Thursday this time. Yeah, it was that Wednesday was night. Crazy. Yeah, I haven't been going the past few years to the Thanksgiving game at least. Yeah, but I'm still I'm still there a bit, you know. Helping out with winter percussion and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Everything, drumline. Everything's still kicking. The music program is alive and well in North Brunswick yeah. uh, Township. Good old North Brunswick. Yeah. Dude, North Brunswick, like, I don't know. I think a lot of us owe thanks to it in a yeah. weird way. It's not a very direct thank you, but it's like the community, you know? Seriously. Yeah. It's so it's such a fucking diverse town. And I it might be because it's like overbleed from New Brunswick, but you just have such like a cool mix of people and like mm-hmm. just shit going on there, so yeah it's a neat town i really feel like it's on the up and like i i teach in the town now so i feel like i have to say that kind of but like yeah i really do believe in like the town like it's cool uh what are you teaching i teach band oh yeah (laughs) yeah mr s dude yeah mr s bob Uh, are you allowed to say what school or uh yeah well it's in you can just say elementary it's an elementary school in north brunswick so just like comar then yeah okay yeah so we're like colleagues and oh um, wow same school no, different okay. school. So we both we both do band and orchestra, third, fourth, and fifth grade. Wow. It's cool. Those are like my roots, dude. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. You know, I'm getting kids into music. So yeah. it's cool to see, you it's, know? Yeah, and like what you do, like, I don't know, day to day. I have a lot of teacher friends, and, you know, some of them used to come home and just cry because shit was that bad. But these are people that did high school. And then, I don't know, they would cry because you have the substance in these young individuals and, you know, you can see when shit's going really poorly for them or you try and invest so much and, you know, it's like a plant and, like, some of them die, you know, some of them just don't give a shit. Yeah. But I feel like with third, fourth, and fifth graders, you know, there's so much potential, but you don't see that immediate yield right away, you know? Sure. It's like you're you're planting this subliminal seed in their minds and then, you know, like... 10 years later they'll be like oh shit i'm still in orchestra or jazz band or something like oh thanks mr s yeah yeah you know it so clicks for that's them. really cool yeah thanks um, man you ever catch yourself just talking to adults like children no <laughs> not yet at least i think my problem is i talk to children like adults yeah you curse at them no i mean i don't curse Throw at them drumsticks but at them. <laughs> i try to i try to treat them like as professionally like professional musicians almost yeah and I, i'm even more strict this year than last year and i have more rules and stuff how many years have you been doing this that? is my second year second year but before that i was like uh, i delivered bread on a truck so like there was no structure in my job before yeah. this and now i'm like easing into it getting more rules and it's better this year but it's still like it's still, I think, I'm either too nice or I'm just, I need to be a little bit more, like, we get stuff done and we're very efficient, but mm-hmm. it's just, you know, I think I gotta flip the switch sometimes. Yeah. A little harder. You gotta. Yeah. Um. So, what's that schedule work like as a teacher, for, as a music teacher? Because do you have, like, a first period and a last period, or do you have, like, prep and then? Yeah, nine periods nine throughout periods. the day. Each wow. one's 40 minutes. I get a lunch and a prep. Uh, my prep period is split this year because I'm, I'm on a lunch that's, like, in between takes place between the periods kind of mm-hmm. um so i'm on kindergarten lunch duty so that's tons of fun too wow. i have a question about that so i remember you know back when i was in school the whole lunch duty thing like it was just teachers that would hang there with us you know because smartphones weren't a thing back then yeah so now are people allowed on their phones or teachers yeah um, like what's the policy with phones at school a lot of teachers use them to communicate with each other in the building that's good yeah a lot of teachers do kind of use them i try to take it out maybe once or twice a day 
When, I, when I'm on my break, I'll just blow off steam and like just scroll on my phone through yeah. whatever, just to like kind of decompress a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's not it's not it's not like a professional look to like stay in it all the time. Yeah, so definitely, kind of. I judge people when I see them on oh, it too much. I do too. Yeah. yeah. Even like, in like yeah, in everyday life, right? Like, yeah, like if I was here just like scrolling on my phone while talking to you, you have all the right to smack me with a microphone. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. So what are the highlights and lowlights of teaching? Um, I pl- play music all day, so that's cool. That's what, pretty sick. Yeah, even if it's hot cross buns or you know, Mary <laughs> yeah. had a little lamb. Like <laughs> hot cross buns. Oh my god. The jam. It's cool. Like just playing on every other instrument and teaching is cool. I like doing it. I think I'm okay at doing it. Yeah. Um, it's funny we found because before me the teacher that was there before me she was there for like 25 years who's that I don't want to say oh, it. Yeah. No <laughs> no, Sorry. it's Oops. all good no it's all good but um, <laughs> we found CDs of their concert from like 2007 in my yeah. room and I was with like my saxophone kids who are like so good and um, I was like yo guys let's listen to this and it was the fifth grade students so it's the second year kids mm-hmm. and they can barely get through like hot cross buns even and yeah. we're just all like roasting the shit out of them <laughs> really yo these kids are terrible and I felt like it was a good bonding moment but I'm like damn like we're kind of just like ripping on kids but they're like adults now you know like they're... So 2007 and they're in fifth grade so yeah so now they're 10 years, 10 years later, later they're so they're, like they're out of high school now. yeah 18 19 20 so yeah. so now they're getting shot on as freshmen in yeah college. they're getting Maybe. shit on by fifth grade <laughs> <laughs> that too That's yeah hilarious yeah how do you um how do you deal with the different levels of kids you know like obviously you're gonna have some kids that are a more into it and be more talented yeah and then you have you know the opposite of that so. yeah different differentiation how do you play like, to the strengths because they're not big classes right uh, my biggest class is like 18 kids, but oh, that's pretty big. Yeah, that's that's like third grade violins, which is like what they all do in third grade. Yeah, they can't join band in third grade. A bunch of Asian kids. I can say that because <laughs> I'm technically Asian. Yeah, we get it's a not pass. racist. <laughs> whole mix, whole mix. There Actually, um, North Brunswick is like the school I'm working at is in the top 10 most diverse schools in New Jersey. Wow, it's like number six or seven. So it's it's a big mix, and it's yeah. funny because like there's all these like old townies that are like oh this the town has changed so much it's yeah like, yeah i keep seeing little posts here and there it's like in hoboken like people are putting out like racist flyers really yeah because there was like an uh, an asian lady and um i think a sikh man and they were both running for like city council or something like that and people anonymously made these flyers and put them up and were like stop letting immigrants run this country oh god yeah they're like the chinese and muslim it was actually like a korean lady and like a sikh guy so they didn't even get the religions right or wow. the ethnicities. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that barely matters to them. But, but yeah, it's it's just crazy. And like going back to just North Brunswick in general, like I don't think I ever felt like I was, you know, being discriminated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, which is awesome. Like, like little things I'll think of, like all the popular kids be like, oh, they were all white. But like, so what? You know, popular yeah. kids are popular kids, and eventually they had their Indian friends and yeah, black friends. yeah. But everyone and we all had our place in yeah. school too, you know. Like, yeah, like band was definitely so diverse. Yeah, 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 it just never mattered there. And I feel like I don't know if it's because I'm coming of age, you know, like I'm only mid twenties, but yeah. um, or if it's just society, or if it's always been this way. But I feel like right now, like it's become such a prevalent issue. Yeah, and it's just weird to be cognizant of that. Well, it's tough, man, because it's definitely an issue. Mm-hmm. But like, even at that, like, unite the white rally that happened mm-hmm. in virginia there was 500 people there and yeah. granted 500 people is like a sizable amount but in regards to the whole country 
like I don't, I don't know the population because I'm stupid, but it's like a, oh, I don't either. Don't yeah, worry. but it's like sixty million. I, I can't million. even tell you where all the states are, <laughs> <laughs> and I blame the school systems. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's tough because it, it is an issue that needs to be addressed. I think social media. I think just having a a twenty four hour news cycle in our pocket all the t- all the time. Just, yeah. Kind of creates more tension. Definitely w- does. Which polarizes even more. Yeah. You know? And it's all, like, crafted, you know, to show only what you're supposed to see. Cool, yeah. Cool, cool. It's all a business. You know, they curate their feed. So yeah, it's pretty messed up. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think all that shit is an issue. I mean, I'm not going to say, like, like, gloss over stuff, but I don't know. Like, I just try to be a good person in real life every Same. day. Like, yeah, on the internet, though, pff, different story. I'll be a piece <laughs> of garbage on the internet all day. Watch out, you Reddit kids. <laughs> <laughs> I blocked like the, for one of the first things I did when I got a job in school. I was like, all right, I'm making it so no teacher on Facebook can ever find me. Wow, it's hard like trying to play in bands and be a musician and shit and like teach in a public school too. Yeah, because like other teachers in the school, they're like friends with all the parents on Facebook. And granted, they're like 40, 45 these teachers, but like I don't know what. Why do I need to be friends with parents on Facebook? Like, what are we gonna talk about? Exactly. Like, what do you need to see about my life? Yeah, it's about seeing and feeling connected. You know. Yeah. But in reality, we've never been more lonely. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. A bunch of people sitting in a room, like, just staring at their phones. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm still the friend that'll call people up. Like, mind you, I texted you. So, you know, That's I'm fine. sorry. Yeah, yeah. But we'll get to that point. Yeah. But I, I, I love to, to call that. people up. Like, if I'm doing a long drive, like, especially down from Boston, I'll just, like, call people, spend two hours talking. And it's like, oh, that feels nice. I feel connected now. Yeah. It's a little more personable than texts, too. Yeah text like things can be misconstrued in text or like it's all it's all face value like the art of context is lost on the internet a lot of the time you know Mm -hmm. or like having tact and shit like anything can be spun anyway yeah you know yeah you just take a little quote you know chop off the last four words yeah suddenly i'm (laughs) (laughs) anti-semitic They just take certain words from each sentence. Right. They yeah. jumble letters. Like, no, man. I, I love my bagels with lox. Like, come on. Yeah, who doesn't? Like, I'm all about it. I had it. one today. I was by uh, by the bakery. Oh, nice. I was going to say names, but. I think I think my name is okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be. Everyone knows that bakery. Yeah. Yeah. North Brunswick staple, dude. So Good spot. Still kicking. How <sighs> do you like uh, living in Boston now? Boston's good. I've been there almost seven years wow really which is crazy yeah i moved up after high school for school and um where'd you go i went to northeastern right on so yeah. they do the whole co-op program which i think is great especially in this climate for you know young adults because sure. it's that whole catch-22 of oh yeah we'll hire you if you have two years of experience and then to get experience you know like you have to have a job and yeah like, vice versa so uh what northeastern does is you know you go for two years they have you declare you could be undeclared and then you go do a six-month co-op or a four-month co-op and you work somewhere you don't pay tuition you actually get paid and then you come back to school and you reflect on what you learned and then you do it again and you can do it three times actually yeah and so i had a lot of friends the only downside about northeastern is that it's so global like some of my best friends were from belgium uh the dr and uh, and ghana yeah so um you know, they all like did their co-ops in different places, and like it's like six months without your best friends, and you're just like, 
you know, you barely have an identity at that point they don't in know college. Anyone else. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You're just like, oh, okay. And then like maybe you do make new friends, and then they come back, and you have to deal with this weird intertwining of two circles that may not really mesh. Sure. Yeah. But um, it's part of living in a big city too, you know. Yeah, just... and it's a huge college town. There's like 20 schools in a five mile radius. Yeah. At yeah. least. Yeah. So, um, and that's kind of been a point of contention for the people who actually live in Boston for a while. It's like we have this giant student population that just comes and goes and like either we're not tapping into them enough or we're catering to them too much. Like one example of catering to them too much is 99% of all leases in Boston operate on a September 1st, August 31st cycle. Yeah. So that night it just mayhem. Like if you don't take off work that day, like you're going to be late the next day. You're probably not going to sleep because kids are just moving around everywhere. everywhere. It literally puts the city in a standstill. Yeah, I believe it. It is a very densely populated with college students. I almost yeah. went to uh, Berkeley up there, and yeah. I, I have friends who go there now. And um, I'll play up there sometimes, and I just see like so many kids out. Whether it be in like I don't know if it's considered Metro Boston, but like Cambridge or like Alston yeah. and stuff. Yeah, my um, my brother actually just moved to Alston, so I've been um, I've been going around over there, and I've been going to a couple shows here and there. Alston's great. Yeah, it's like and Cambridge is too. I just haven't spent much time there, but like. They're each these little microcosm that are pockets outside of Boston. Sure. And, um, like, it's kind of weird because I live in Jamaica Plain, and I hadn't explored outside of that too much until my brother moved to Austin. And I was like, oh, shit, like, this is where the venues are. Like, I should go here. Yeah, there's and, a lot going on. Like, go, tying back to the student population thing, that's what makes the music scene there kind of hard is, like, there's so many kids that are so hungry for it, and you're just trying to one-up each other, but then you know like rather than go play shows and stuff like a lot of people just go on the internet yeah and put everything there which is fine yeah or they you know they'll play shows with like no real marketing and not saying that you have to market but i think a good mix of the two to be able to get the word out is great sure because you just have a bunch of disconnected tiny little circles musically and um, i've been trying to get more involved in the scene myself and i've been getting to know some of the like the more of the hip-hop scene and um it just it seems different than like a New York or an Atlanta or like an LA. Yeah. You know? And uh, Boston hasn't really had huge talent yet. Like we have uh, this guy, Cousin Stiz, that kind of blew up and he's good, but he's going the mainstream route. And um, his manager has done a lot for him. This That's guy named good. Tim. And I had this guy on my radio show while I was at Northeastern with another rapper that he managed at the time. And it's just interesting to see because he manages these three guys and he's taking like different routes with each one. Sure. And this cousin Sid's guy is a mainstream route. Like he has, um, he had a feature from um, one of the Amigos guys. Yeah. 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 And that was like a big one. And then another guy is Michael Christmas. That's like Joe. I know that guy. You know Michael Christmas? He's from, yeah. he's from Boston area, yeah. right? I don't know if I saw. Oh, you know how I, I found out about him? I was on tour and I was at like a gas station in like Atlanta or like Kentucky yeah. or something. And there was a. Uh, you know, like you'll go to those gas stations, they have like mixtape CDs. Oh, yeah. There was a Boondocks. Remember the cartoon Boondocks? Yeah, yeah. There was like a Boondocks endorsed mixtape that Michael Christmas was on. Wow. Like, and this is probably like three years ago. But yeah. then, like, I, I got turned on to like his full length and like some of his newer shit on SoundCloud, too. And like, it's pretty neat. Like, it's pretty like like weird sometimes. But... Yeah. He, he definitely has his niche. And like, he's gotten cosigns from like Mac Miller, yeah. who's come up a lot. And, sure. Um, yeah, man, I respect Mac Miller a lot. Like, I really do. Like, I think he might be one of my 
top 10 rappers right now. Yeah. I'm wearing an Isaiah Rashad shirt. I don't know if you've listened Who's to that? him. He is on uh, TDE with Kendrick Lamar and Schoolboy Q. Right on. And his rap is a lot more like conscious rap, stream consciousness. Nice. Uh, actual bars versus like Bullshit. the current scene. The hooks. But, yeah. It's, uh, it's just very, rap is just such a diverse field right now. You know? Yeah. Um, I just want to finish up on the Boston subject. Yeah. So yeah, like uh, it's been interesting to kind of study the state of the game right now in Boston. Sure. Try to understand like where I am uh, personally How you fit in regards. It. Yeah. And right now I am just like a nobody, <laughs> which I'm fine with because I haven't like I'm working on things, but I haven't put anything out formally. Yeah. And so like I've reached out to a couple people be like, oh, yeah, like I'm a big fan of your work. And, you know, some of these people talk back, which is awesome that they're responding, number one. And then they tell you, like, oh, yeah, $800 for a feature. Sure. And it's like, shit, like, I don't have $800 to blow on that. Yeah. And, like, you know, as a new person, like, it's like, are they telling me that because they know they can say any price? Or are they just saying that because they know I'm not going to take it? Yeah, it's hard, man. Like, yeah. Because you have to find a way to make it work as a musician, too. So then there's just, I feel like there's just not enough money in music sometimes. There so really isn't. find yeah. different angles now to make a buck. Because yeah. music sales, generally speaking, way, make way less money, right? Yeah. It's a lot more streaming now. I did my thesis on, you know, the state of streaming and versus record sales. Yeah. Back and in school. Streaming doesn't really compensate all the money that's lost for record sales. I, I mean, it's, it's a good outlet, and it can bring people to your shows. And, you know, I think, like, Chance the Rapper is a great example. Yeah. Of, like, he doesn't even have a record deal, and he, like, was Grammy-nominated, right? Like, yeah. So uh, I listened to a lot of other hip-hop podcasts. By a lot, I mean, like, two. Um, there's the Joe Budden podcast, okay. which I highly recommend. And then there is uh, Brilliant Idiots. And then Joe Budden also oh, does. Brilliant is Charlemagne and, and uh, Andrew Schultz. Yeah. yeah, he's funny. Yeah. yeah, they're really good. It's like the same vibe on both of them, and they talk a lot about the state of how things are. And um, you know, talking about Chance, like he he's like half independent because he signed with Apple to do a rollout for I think uh, like coloring, Chance Three. Yeah, coloring book. Coloring yeah. book. Yeah. And they gave him like 500 million or something like oh, that. Oh, wow. Okay. And so there's a lot of backlash. And then he was like, look, like, I'm still not signed. I took the money because I have to fucking feed people. Like, yeah. Sue me for it. Yeah. But yeah, uh, the money is definitely. My thesis was that there's no money in actual record sales or streaming. So by doing that, you know, you can use that data. You can cut it up. Like Metallica did this. They found out that their biggest fan base was like somewhere in Latin America. And they went and played three nights there, sold out each night sold so much merch so merch and tours yeah that's where you get all the money that's where it's at now yeah yeah it's way different um people think like because i run like a record label more of the boxes are in the other room but like i do yeah choke artist record label shit and people are like yeah man you're doing it you're doing it and it's like i don't know like a good month for me is breaking even or like yeah making 200 so bucks crazy. that i can put back into it you know yeah and people think like oh yeah like you're playing shows you must be making money it's like no, I might have paid to play here, you know, yeah. or like I didn't make anything back, like what you just said. And if you do make anything back, it just goes back into the process. Sure, yeah. Like some of these bigger guys, like they don't even make that much money yet, you know. And, yeah. Um, that show, um, Everyday Struggle, that J uh, Joe Budden does on Complex, they had, um, I forget who they had on there, Big Crit. Yeah. So he's this rapper from uh, the South. and He's a producer, too. Yeah, he's a producer, too. Yeah, thank you for saying that because, yeah. you know, that's what a lot of people knock him for. Like, they're like, oh, he's just a rapper. He's just a producer. No, he actually does both, which yeah. is really hard. Yeah. And um, they're, they're just talking about how you'll get an advance from a record label 
and so many kids are stupid or not even kids like adults people that are older than us they would take that they'd go buy a chain they'd buy like a private jet trip to their next five shows and then be broke and then you go into more debt creating the next record and that's how you get enslaved to the big record label yeah. that you're stuck with yeah and like people don't realize like you're supposed to like invest in yourself like that's the business side of it that so many people don't ever learn yeah until true. they're you know five million in debt yeah it, it's, it's crazy it's a hard thing to navigate i feel like i still don't know what the fuck i'm doing like with anything like hey label labels have hit up some of the bands i've played in and we, oh, nice. we'll just like troll them and be like you know there's there's one label that hit up invalids the math rock band they play in and it's like a pretty big a bigger like but like kind of metal label and mm-hmm. invalids is like math rock like we don't use distortion or picks at all there's no double bass like but he's like yeah i'm trying to get into more progressive like prog instrumental music i think he has to be a good fit and we were just like uh what well what can you do for us and he was mm-hmm. like just just think of me like a credit card so he like could front money i guess and yeah like, well, well a lot of labels will do now is they'll get their bands that they represent onto tours by throwing money in for advertising. Mm-hmm. I saw this band, a Wilhelm scream in Philadelphia recently. And this opening band that played for them was so corny, dude. Like just the corniest, like pop punk that it sounded like it should be on warp tour, which is like warp tour bands are like a dying breed anyway. Like they, they canceled warp tour for next year. Did they? Wow. Yeah. Like the, I think end that, of an era, dude. Yeah, That's it definitely crazy. is. It, it's just over time. Like just the importance of it kind of faded. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is so much more accessible now that you don't need this carnival sponsored by Monster Energy to like literally drink. carnival for children. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> sweaty goth kids. Yeah, <laughs> punk so, kids, quote unquote. Yeah, you're punk if you spend forty dollars on this bracelet, shit like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we kind of were just like, what, what can you do for us? And he's like, you know, I can help you get on the tours by paying bands for advertisement. Mm-hmm. And and this um this band I saw open for Wilhelm Scream in Philly, I could just like tell that they didn't fit on the bill and later I, w- I was talking to one of the other guys and one of the other bands on the tour and they were like yeah they're on victory records and uh, oh, victory yeah. agreed to just pay money for advertising for the tour to get so them on. what do you mean by they they paid for advertising they paid who the- i guess the booking agents the agents for the tour so they just like they bought their spot they bought their spot okay. yeah it's a different way of like buying on the tour it's like yeah we'll put a thousand or two thousand dollars into advertising with with these outlets through these publicists mm-hmm. get get you clicks on this site it's just like a dirty game and i don't know if it's worth it sometimes it is a dirty game yeah uh, and a lot of it's luck you know yeah like cuz you can have good marketing going on you can have an okay band and then they just they click you know and then it's like oh they're getting kind of big or you can just have like no marketing and a pretty talented band, but then you still need that luck, you know? Yeah. It's like that uh, that Venn diagram or, like, that chart where it's, like, there's three options, pick two, you know? Because I used to think, I used to be so naive and think that, okay, if I, if I make really good music, like, someone's going to hear it, and then it's going to blow up eventually. No, that's not, not true at all. necessarily, no. yeah. Like, you need to be accessible, Yeah. you know? Like, and creating music is so much more accessible now. Like, yeah. there's so many more. It's so oversaturated. And like, I, don't I was going to say that, yeah. yeah I don't, I don't want to say it's a bad thing because, like, I'm a, I'm a fucking music teacher. So it would be a hypocrite of me to say, less people should be playing music. Like, and that's not how I feel. I think everyone should play it. Mm-hmm. I think people should know how much to push themselves. I, I went to a pizzeria once and uh, 
the the owner knew me and he's like oh you're in a band right yeah this guy's in a band too and like this pizza boy comes up to me he's like yeah we're on instagram and twitter and yeah and you're I like, like i just want a fucking pizza bro yeah it's like <laughs> do you have even music up yet he's like yeah we have one song up yet but make sure you follow us and all this it's like nice. why why should i like as a you know, as the an audience member, already be like a follower or a fan if you don't have any content yet. Exactly. Like, I don't give a fuck what you ate for breakfast or. Right. Like. Yeah, people try to market the brand so much now. Yeah. You know? And it's like, no, you don't need to brand yourself. Until you have like a core of content that's yeah. like genuine. Then you, know? you got to get organized and get your shit together. But yeah. until then, like, figure your shit out. Exactly. And then work on it. Yeah. You know? And and then market it. The branding should only just be like what you are what your content is just louder like you know exaggerate not exaggerated but just voice louder you know but yeah and there there are different channels for that you know like some people like some bigger artists are like on instagram live every day and facebook live every day and it's like oh yeah i just want to be connected with my fans and then you have your like frank oceans that go rogue for three years and then drop life-changing records and everyone's like oh i feel so connected yeah you know and there's no right answer you know you're right going down to the bottom of it there's no right answer you gotta to find what works for you some of it's just really annoying <laughs> yeah yeah i i've realized i can't do like i can post on my own my own social media so much but i can't like anytime i'm posting from like the labels social media i'm just like not organized at all i'm like i'm too busy like packing records when i get mail order like some some yeah. weeks i have to pack like 20 30 records so i'm like just doing that and it's like That's crazy what am i supposed to talk like i don't know i hate just putting myself out there when i feel like there's not a reason and i've just i'm starting to distance myself more from smartphones again i've been thinking about going to a flip phone again but I, yeah I, you, I, you rocked one for a while right yeah <laughs> i remember like that 2011 2012 Jeez. yeah i don't think i can though i think it'll be weird i think yeah at this point it, it might set you back you know like doing what we're doing because going back to luck like there might be some random moment where someone's like hey so and so dropped out of this bill like can you get someone to fill it and it's like very organic very genuine and then it ends up being really good for a band or an artist or whatever yeah and yeah. just like those quick little things that's the good side of us being so hyper connected and then the bad side is like you were saying you know like it just oversaturated and you become like numb and brain dead yeah because it's just like oh here's my breakfast avocado toast avocado toast dude i'll look at my phone sometimes for 40 minutes and then like put it down and be like what i don't even remember what i just looked at like i have no idea Uh, so yeah yeah and i'm very anti it but i'm also like you know you gotta be part of yeah you you can't fight it all the way yeah because then you feel like you're like losing and missing out a little bit yeah and yeah it's a catch-22 that's that's the way everything's angled too on social media it's like while you were gone so-and-so commented this on this picture it's like dude it's all algorithms you know uh did you hear about how like the facebook apps were monitoring people no i believe it though yeah this one couple was um they were talking about dog food as a test they don't have a dog mm-hmm. and they talk about dog food just mix it into their, like conversations like oh honey you got dog food no i gotta pick up some dog food and just for two days they did this and then the next week all their facebook ads were tailored for dog food yeah freaky i believe it yeah i i try to do a similar thing with my friend at a diner once and like just like we have like an, an hour and a half conversation at a, at a diner and then after we scrolled through his feed and it was like coca-cola came up and like all the shit that we were talking about That's and it's so like creepy. You've, it's part of the the agreement when you download the app no one reads that shit no so bad no yeah you just not saying it. like we could like we we could read it but yeah it's it's also worded so uh what's the word i'm looking for 
so densely, you know, yeah. that, like you would need your lawyer friend to come over and be like, all right, well, you just kind of signed away your rights for them to like photograph you while you're on your phone. Yeah. Not using it. I'm convinced your... everything's tapped. Yeah. Oh, me too, dude. Me <laughs> I'm, too. I'm super paranoid with it. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, someone's following me and then I'm like, dude, this is how you become schizophrenic. Yeah. This Stop. is how you be that Stop. crazy guy you see in the park. I heard a click on my phone. <laughs> oh, this isn't a phone. It's a microphone. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I get them doing it because it's a, besides that, it's a free service that people yeah. use every day and use so much bandwidth on. So they Where have the to make a buck. Is, yeah. You know? It's part of capitalism. And now I it's guess. come to bite them in the ass with uh, all this Russia shit. But who knows oh, if that'll even turn yeah. into anything, you know? I forgot about that. Yeah. Like Russia just bought all this ad space and they bought all these bots and then flooded our feeds, you know? Like all the stupid people we know who will just take everything at surface level. Headline boom it's in their head fact yep and then no they regurgitate that every thanksgiving for the next two years you know yeah just because they want to believe the headline you know because yeah it's and put feel in front connected of them. yeah yeah it's so, a lot of fear motivation too yeah That's i where, yeah. Re- remember like how important it was to like read the source in like high school and college and like you know citation yeah, that's so crazy like that, that straight up like, went out the window you put wikipedia on a page like five years ago six years ago they're like oh no like you need to actually have sources and like now it's like you can put wiki links and then they'll be like oh well just you know scroll to the bottom of that wiki page and then use those sources it's yeah like, god damn it i remember cracking books like yeah that was crazy yeah I can't remember the last time I read a book, man. My brother and I were just talking about that. We are like, yeah, I don't read anymore, but honestly, like, I don't feel like I'm dumb because of it. Like, that was such a thing people tried to press on you as a kid. It's like, oh, if you don't read, you're going to be dumb. Sure. But now it's like, no, you can you can definitely learn without reading books. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. Uh, the phone is a tool that you could still read exactly. articles on, you know? Yeah. My ADHD ass can still, you know, read a couple articles on there. Bounce around. Yeah. yeah and feel educated i miss reading fiction though because i think that forces your creative muscles a little i actually read it in this this art book yesterday and it's barely a book it's like just all pictures of like it's a lowbrow like surrealism book and it interviews all these guys and he's like yeah i try to read a book a week because it just pushes your visual muscle muscles because you're like you know visualizing everything yeah, you're reading about i was so. thinking about that i think about um like the harry potter movies versus the books you know, everyone was like, oh, Hermione didn't look like what I expect her to look like. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, like, maybe I should read those books again. And I was like, nah, that looks fat. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> so many pages. <laughs> Too many pages. I'll just, uh, I'll keep playing Skyrim. Yeah. It's like there almost like a Harry Potter in itself. Right. You know? Yeah. It's like a mystical they just, land. They made my pictures for me, whatever. <laughs> they move. Yeah. So, so you do a lot of, um, you make like hip hop beats now? Yeah. So I produce and, um. Going back to that guy that manages uh, those three rappers, sure. uh, Stiz and Christmas and this other guy, Cam Meekins. Shout out to all of them. They're all great guys. Yeah. Are they all Boston-based? Yes. Cool. Well, I think Cam moved to New York. Okay. But And then Stiz moved to LA, so just Michael Christmas that's still there. Yeah. Let's go back to this topic of like being from a place. But yeah, I do produce, and um, I hit up their manager, and I was like, hey, man, like I'm starting to like produce, like would really love to sit down and like talk about it and he was like uh i don't know you, you emailed him or uh i had his number oh, okay yeah so i totally get it like he's like who's this kid that i met once like yeah. asking me for help and uh, i just i hate that people are like that sometimes but i also get it especially if you're very busy with successful slash growing artists and yeah. then you get inundated with people asking for like favors and stuff at least he replied to at least he I, replied I yeah that. so i i do respect that but pretty much i was like yeah like i realized at that point as i was texting him i was like 
no one just wants a producer like they want you to rap they want you to do more than just produce because producers in this environment that in this playing field they just get treated like shit they get stepped on yeah you know, not everyone's like a metro booming um who's like sound is plastered everywhere sure and now everyone rips it off yeah but um well dude but that's the thing you got to just grow your own shit grow your own brand put out what i see a lot of producers do now and this is coming from like the band camp angle which is like the music streaming site yeah. i'm most familiar with but a producer will put out a good mixtape it'll be on soundcloud too it'll get a lot of shares and then like they can sell their beats online yeah you know just building a fan base on the internet yeah there's a lot of really good producers out there that have definitely built up from nothing and they have a great following now but um i i just personally think that you know like going back to branding yourself part of it if you're able to actually you know take it a step further and throw some vocals on it like that's going to be a lot more impressive. It's a lot more work. Holy shit. Yeah. I say that. It's two different things. They yeah. have to juggle. Like I've been, it's like, you know, working on biceps and upper body the whole time. And then it's like, oh shit, I got to do legs. Yeah. Yeah, man. And like some be people are just rabid. like, nah. But I mean, that's, that's what Kanye did. That's yeah. how he got to where he oh, is. That's my, he was my starting inspiration. Like I remember I was in college, um, sophomore year just started and I was browsing eBay for MPCs. Yeah. MPC 1000. And hell yeah. I found a couple for like 300 bucks. I was like, oh shit. And um, I may or may not have been uh, selling some, you know, weed brownies or something. Just to supplement. Just to supplement. Yeah. And um, and I was like working at the library and I was just like checking eBay. It's like watching like 10 NPCs at once. They probably thought I was like crazy. Yeah. And then I finally got one. I remember I was working at a day camp here in East Brunswick that you might know of. Um, I think I do. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) I ran to the bathroom because the, the auction was ending. It was like the last 10 minutes, and I just ran to one of those shitty wooden stalls, and I was like having a bidding war, and I went up to like 276. And then, or no, this one went up to like 300-something, and I won, and I was so pumped. Like my heart was racing, I was sweaty, hadn't even moved, and I'm just like in this little stall like with little kid shit everywhere. <laughs> and then the next day they're like oh sorry like the seller canceled and I was damn. Like, god damn it that sucks man so fast forward a couple months same thing bidding war for an mpc yeah. they're hard to find they are the yeah. one that functions i had one that ran on a floppy disk and eventually oh, yeah? shit the bed it was like my brother-in-law's but yeah which model i think it was like a 2000 or 2500 or something yeah yeah, yeah. it had to Those be the bigger ones yeah. yeah yeah it was like a fucking it looked like a computer almost yeah. uh, <laughs> microsoft computer. but go on sorry yeah no worries um and then i finally won this auction and I was so pumped again and then you know like a couple of days went by and the guy hadn't shipped it and so it's like contact seller and I'm like hey man like hope you're doing well I was wondering like you get to ship this yet and he's like oh I've been really sick like I haven't been able to I'm gonna ask my roommate to do it and I was like red flag orange flag whatever yeah and then like a couple more days go by and I'm like hey like did you get your roommate to do it and he's like oh yeah like he lost the tracking number though and I was like are you kidding me so I do what you're supposed to do, and you file, like, a claim through eBay. Like, it's all insured. So I got my money back. It never came in? I thought it wouldn't come. And then I remember I was laying there on my shitty twin XL bed, and I got, like, a little mail notification. It's like, you have a package waiting for you at Spear Hall. And I was like, huh? And I go, and it's the fucking MPC. Wow. So I got refunded. I got it for free. That's sick. And uh, I remember just, like, we, I lived with three other guys at the time, and I just started on my desk, and, like, I was learning how to, like, sample into it and, like, chop it up 
into 16 yeah. pads, you know? Yeah. And then I'd just set up in the living room. And I remember I was chopping apart Red Hot Chili Peppers records because at the time I wasn't really that big into hip hop. And like, I didn't know much. What's it I knew Kanye. Yeah. yeah. But that's it. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of where it all started for me. And I just kept going. I got Ableton eventually. Cool. And um, that seems to be the best interface for running a live show, too, if you ever want oh, yeah. to do that. Like dropping in. They have those like uh, track pads where like you can drop in sequences as yeah. it's going and all that. I bought so. a launch pad too. Yeah, that that's what I was for some reason. Word, yeah, and now it just gathers dust because yeah. like I went through all the phases, man. I thought I was gonna be John Mayer. I thought I was gonna be Skrillex. I thought <laughs> I was gonna be Diplo. Yeah, I thought I, I still am gonna be Kanye. Yeah, just so. be yourself, man. Yeah, but you know, like it was so cool just learning and trying to be all these different things because by studying the greats and taking little pieces of what they did, you know, you kind of craft your own identity sure in a way yeah i mean you it's there's nothing wrong with having influences to yeah. your shit and you know, as long as it's not 100 percent derivative exactly like regurgitating something yeah. like you know you can put your own spin on anything so fast forward you know four or five years and uh i've been seriously producing for maybe like one to two years now mm-hmm. and you know like i've made some i'm pretty proud of like good beats yeah and um it was cool like showing them to friends and like putting them on SoundCloud and like people like like them, and then I remember I did a I did a little like Instagram post when I got to 1,000 plays. And I was like, oh, thanks everyone. Like I'm so kind. I mean, I'm so grateful for yeah. your kindness. And then I remember I did a Chopped and Screwed remix of a Future song. Okay. Because um, Chopped and Screwed is like really cool. And for people who don't know, it originated from DJ Screw in Houston, and it's when you pitch down a track, and it just kind of breathes new life into it. And the whole idea between uh, from Chopped and Screwed is, like, it's supposed to sound, like, really drugged out. Like, people are drinking lean and listening to it. Yeah. And it, it's supposed to be, like, DJs used to do it when they, they would have the same record on both decks. And they would just switch back and forth. And it would be, like, you know, like, like Joe Scala's in the house. And you cut to the other deck, Scala's in the house. And just, like, cuts back and the forth. The kind of phasing like, this. I, yeah. I think right away of the T-Pain Chopped and Screwed song. Yeah, too, yeah, there you which go. Which is fucking tight. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool instrumental. And, um... I, I just made this really like I called it chopped and sloppy because you're not supposed to say it's chopped and screwed because screwed was DJ Screw yeah who's dead so rest in peace um, so I called it chopped and sloppy so I wouldn't get any backlash with my like a hundred followers on SoundCloud <laughs> but then this thing started blowing up and I was like holy shit and then it got like thousands of plays and I was like I should have taken advantage of this because I didn't have much of my own stuff on there. I had just like a hodgepodge. I still this is have, on your SoundCloud? Yeah. I still have a hodgepodge up there. I have like my final track from a songwriting course that I made, which is really cool. But um, yeah, that just goes back to like the luck element, like random shit that you don't even think of will pop off. Yeah. And you know? remixes are a good way to people to turn people onto your shit because they're yeah. familiar with at least one element of it. Exactly. And you're spinning it your own way. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'll definitely do that again, you know, like. And I, I was thinking, like, for my debut project, if I were to take some art from these local Boston rappers and, like, if I just remixed, like, one of their songs or something, like, what would that do? Yeah. Would they get pissed at me? Would that be good marketing? You know, and it's, like, only one way to find out. Yeah, I think, you know, any any publicity, anytime people see their name, they can't, like, they have to be grateful that, like, yeah. their name's Unless it's, there. like, so-and-so was caught, like, diddling kids. Yeah, unless you're, like, <laughs> slamming them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, I think a remix is, you know, as long as it's in good taste and it's, you know, half-decent. Right? Yeah. That's cool. So what's your, uh, well, and I'll drop your SoundCloud shit in the, in the bio. Yeah. Or the, cool. you know, the description. But what is it? Uh, I'm just going by my name, you cool. know. I'm playing it pretty boring, but, you know, yeah. if Kanye can do it, I could do it. Yeah, man. So I'm just going by Neil Badra. That's right it. Um, 
and yeah, like I, I have a couple tracks that I'm still working on. I have one that's completely finished and I'm trying to like think like marketing wise, like when's the best time to do it? And uh, it's really, it's a fine line between like never releasing and just releasing completely wrong to like radio silence. Dude, you know? Yeah. I have some friends that like recorded an album, an album like six months ago and it's like, yeah. when are you going to release it? And they're like, we're waiting for the right time to do it. The publicist are yeah. dropping a single and it's like, man, just, I want to fucking hear it. Like, and that's half of it. And the other half is like, I want to have things ready to go after that. You know, sure. if it does pick a momentum, I don't want to be like, Oh shit. Like now I have to rush to finish these other records Yeah. because I don't have anything ready. Yeah. And so like, there's that one thing that's like mixed master done, ready cool. to go. And then there's a couple other ones that are just like beats and I have vocals I haven't recorded yet. You're going to do vocals on them too? Like yeah. so the one track so, you have, you did vocals on yeah. it Yeah, yeah, it's very Travis Scott, Kanye West, 808s influence. Yeah. Okay. I produced the beat entirely. Um, I chopped it up on the MPC and did some stuff. Cool, man. Which is a lot of fun. Yeah, it felt great. And like after I did that, like there were moments where I listened to it and it's like, you know how you listen to something so much that you kind of become desensitized to it and just like, this is shit. Yeah. Like I have those moments and then I have other moments where I'm like, this is great. Like how do I get back in that zone? You know? Yeah. Cause sometimes my mind just takes off and I'm like in my, my second bedroom's a music studio right now where I do all my stuff. And like, sometimes I'll just have great days where I'll walk out and have like 10 ideas that sound amazing. And then the next day I walk back in and it's like, these all sucked. Yeah. It's it's part and, of the craft. Yeah, just and, doing it for it's it's a muscle. Like the more exactly. you do it, the better you'll be. And that's what everyone says. And then like once I started doing it, I started to get it. And like uh, I just had a lot going on. Like I switched jobs recently, and then like with the holidays, so I feel like I've been out of touch with that. Sure. And so it like kind of stresses me out in a way. You get the itch. But yeah, I, like I definitely have the creative itch, and it's like, you know, you can't beat yourself up over life happening. Yeah. You know, it's going to happen. I mean, you could, you could do your best to make time for it, but yeah, you don't have to kill yourself with shit. And, um, going back to me and like my sound, you know, uh, one of my, I talked about Kanye being one of my biggest idols, but another big idol is Wh- Daft Punk. Okay. And which era of Kanye, like all eras? Yeah. I love all of his stuff. Okay. That's fair. I love, um, I love Yeezus a lot just cause it was dark and it was like weirdly industrial, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I think that appealed to me because I grew up on Daft Punk, Chili Pepper, System of a Down, sure. like Sum 41, that kind of stuff. So like for me, like rock and roll and then Daft Punk style of like house music were always really big influences. And then I did that Reddit Secret Santa thing last year and I just put like, oh yeah, I like Kanye and Daft Punk. And this girl was so nice. She sent me this drawing that she made of Daft Punk, which like I hung up in the studio and this anthology of Daft Punk and just like I'd read it on the train every day and um their influences were all these disco records because that's where house music originated from sure. from disco you know yeah. and they would just like chop that up and they pretty much did what like Kanye did with soul records just in a whole different, different genre contact yeah. yeah my uh my buddy works at like Jungle House Studios in New York I think yeah yeah I know that one and Daft Punk did this is probably four or five years ago Best of the Worst was recording with him and he's like yeah Daft Punk's coming in and they like shipped over from wherever they're from yeah I, I don't know they're overseas somewhere right like, Paris yeah they shipped over like all their sequencers and like compressors yeah. and they are they're crazy so it's two guys Thomas and Guy Manuel and um like I remember for the latest album Random Access Memories 
everyone was like, oh, what are they going to do? Like, you know, they've done everything already. Like, they've done, like, a very minimalistic rock record, and then they've done, like, sampling all their soul influences. I mean, yeah. uh, disco. And then on this one, they used, like, real session drummers and guitarists and musicians cool. in general. And they brought their samples to life, which is really cool to do. And um, they have this one part where Giorgio Mordor, I don't know if you know who he is. He was, like, this disco pioneer. He used... um the Moog uh, with like the click track, the synthesizer, like way back in Paris in like the eighties. Okay. Yeah. And um, they had him talk cause like people put interviews on records nowadays. And one of the guys, I forget which guy in Daft Punk had a microphone from each decade set up. And if you listen really closely, you can hear the difference on the track. Sure. At some points I can't even hear the difference, but I remember um, I was reading an interview and someone that was like witnessing them setting up all these microphones are like, what are they doing? Like, why do they have so many different microphones? And they're like, oh, he can hear the difference. Wow. They're just that neurotic about it. And um, another funny story is like Dead Mouse, that guy, mm-hmm. he bought the same exact um, synthesizer that Daft Punk was using. Like, it's one of those ones that's like this tall. Sure. My hand's above my head right now, even though I'm sitting. <laughs> and you would just like plug in different cables and it like changes that sine wave ever so slightly. Yeah. And they had like a custom one built and he reached out. To the manufacturer was like i want the same exact one nice yeah yeah there's a lot that goes into that stuff yeah those so guys are sick a lot of people want to write it off as oh you're just like at a computer doing stuff but the guys who do it well are or girls like whoever's doing it well like they're doing more than that yeah. you know like like skrillex like hats off to him because he started in from first to last yeah he Sonny was the lead singer. Yeah, Sonny Moore. Dude, I remember, week. yeah, someone leaked his number online back in, like, the AIM days. Yeah. And this girl that I was friends with back in middle school, we were like, let's call him. <laughs> and we called him, and it went to his voicemail, and we were, like, giggling. Yeah. And then, like, years later, he was apparently, like, sleeping in warehouses yeah. in, in L.A., and he had, like, a shitty MacBook Pro with one speaker that worked. The other one didn't work, so he was mixing in mono, and he created a whole new genre in dubstep. Yeah. Yeah, he did. You know, which is kind of like faded away since then. But yeah, still, you still like, hear it in like car commercials. Yeah, now <laughs> and it's you're like, like you're not with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now it's trap music. Yeah, trap is like SoundCloud traps like really big, dude. Yeah, and th- like hip hop is the new rock and roll. Like we were talking about how Warp Tour kind of faded out, and now you know like they're having these hip hop festivals like Rolling Loud and um, what else do they have? I don't know. They just have a bunch of like hip hop concerts and like that's a new thing trap music's a new thing so all the kids are going to those shows now yeah like it's cool to have like dreads and like a beard and yeah like, a lot of rappers now have like <clears throat> pink dreads and shit like, yeah like all the young like rebellious soundcloud rappers yeah like stuff. uh i forget that little kid. pump little pump yeah gucci gang gucci, <laughs> gucci, gang, gucci, gucci gang. gang oh my god he says it like 58 times in the song i counted you counted my third graders were impressed i knew the song but yeah guilty nice. pleasure of mine like i'm not big on trap music i'm more like Kind of glitchy hip hop, like Flying Lotus esque shit. Oh, I like, love Flying Low. Yeah, man, or like uh, soul sampling shit, or like Boom Bap, just like yep. shit that like hits hard. Mm-hmm. But um, that is like a guilty pleasure of mine, Lil Pump, dude. Dude, that's funny. <laughs> um, speaking of SoundCloud rappers, it was this guy. Excuse me, I just burped. <sighs> There's that locks coming up. <laughs> um, this guy, Lil Peep. You hear about him? Yeah, the emo rap. He, he yeah. died, right? Yeah. So I remember seeing, like, on Spotify, because I, I scour I try to listen to new things all the time, you know? Sure. And uh, I remember seeing the album cover. It's, like, him shirtless with pink hair next on, like, a bed, and it said, like, come over when you're sober. And I was like, 
all right what the fuck is this bullshit by lil peep like i'm not gonna listen to this shit and the kid od'd he died yeah it's pretty fucked up wasn't like his last instagram post like him with two pills on his tongue yeah he was like telling people like i'm gonna take these pills my friends don't want me to but i'm gonna take him he took like shrooms the day before so this guy was very far down a path and you know like i'm not saying there isn't an issue there but like once people have their minds made up like it's so hard to change someone's lifestyle yeah but especially when it's like involved like drugs yeah the whole opioid epidemic it's crazy yeah it's a fucking bummer yeah and like it's the one the the shit i don't like about trap or like i I just don't like when drugs are like over glorified yeah you know like a lot of lyrical content of trap music is like shitty kind of and like i'm not saying everything has to be like conscious hip-hop either Mm -hmm. like it doesn't there's always been like hype music you know yeah i agree with you you can enjoy but like i feel like it's just easy to just be like just talk about drugs the whole time, you know? Yeah. So, 21 Savage. I'm sure you've heard of him. Yeah. He, um, when he first came out, I was like, who the fuck is this idiot with, like, a cross on his forehead tattooed? Uh, it's actually a dagger, apparently. Okay. But, um, he's done some really good interviews, and he's just, like, this well-spoken, thoughtful guy. And, like, people like to tweet notes. They take a screenshot of their note on their iPhone and then tweet that instead of typing, like, a long tweet. Sure. Even though now we get 280 characters, yeah, apparently. Yeah, it's different now, yeah. But um, he pretty much said he, because there's been like this old head versus new hip hop beef, you know. Yeah. And like rightfully so, like people from the old wave are always gonna hate on the new yeah, wave yeah, in some yeah. capacity. But he addressed it really well, and he said, like, why do you guys hate on this? Like, yeah, we're talking about taking drugs, but is it really so different than your rap where you talked about selling them? Yeah. We're just a generation that you spawned because our parents were the dope fiends that you made money off of. That's a good point. And like everyone was like, oh shit, like. That's so true. And uh, I mean, a lot of 90s hip hop, like the. Jay Z. Y- yeah, the harder guys, misogynistic, yeah. homophobic. Yeah. Like, you know, so. There, there's just a, it's a it's a different genre where stuff like if there's a rock band doing shit like that it's like get the fuck out well like some rolling stone songs were didn't they talk about like inviting 14 year old groupies like into the room and like having sex with them really yeah I there's yeah, some like, fucked up songs i like, would yeah i i would believe that like i think led zeppelin too like they used to have like really young groupies yeah but now like if we if i sometimes we'll play i'll play shows of, like stupid pop punk bands or, and they're like this song's about my stupid bitch ex girlfriend oh my God. and everyone's like yo what the fuck like just chill out yeah, like it's just hilarious. it's corny and attack now like it's just overdone so much i remember um like one band that i think did the whole angsty shit very well was like my chemical romance i went back and listened to three cheers for sweet revenge yeah black parade like a couple weeks back and i was like these are amazing albums people love those albums yeah but um and then i listened to Avenged sevenfold recently too and they have this one song called little piece of heaven okay and the theme of that song is like it's it's done as a skit but it's so dark and gross that it's almost laughable like you don't know what else to do but laugh and it's a guy that kills his girlfriend and then keeps fucking the dead body god damn it <laughs> And he's like, I always knew my little crime would be cold. That's why I got a heater for your thighs. Oh, God. Yeah. What the fuck? Like, the video is so fucked up. And then eventually, like, she comes back as a zombie and kills him as well. And then they love each other again. Oh, okay. So, like, it's very dark with a tasteful twist. Yeah. And so, like, I I don't want to say that, you know, it's only hip-hop. Like, the the bigger point. There is, like, a horror murder core kind of. Like, Marilyn Manson and Trent Reznor. Like, they've done some dark shit yeah that's true like they they i don't know if 
they actively sought out the house, but they ended up living in the house where the Manson murders happened. Really? I just listened to a bunch of podcasts about that whole Manson murders thing, and you know why he killed those people? Why? Because he was connected with Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys, the drummer, actually. Char- Charles Manson was? Yeah. Okay. And he wanted to get a record deal. Wow. And um, Dennis Wilson had just started a new label with the Beach Boys, like which were his brothers, literal brothers, and they were not about it, but like... Dennis Wilson tried to shop around his record, Charlie Manson's record, and was like, "Like, check this out." And apparently, they like got him studio time, and he didn't even know how to operate a mic. And then the uh, the mixing engineer was like, "Hey, like, why don't you try doing this?" And he did not like being told what to do, even though he's just like trying to explain the equipment and how it worked. And then he pulled a knife on him, and then the, they like kicked him out of the studio. Yeah, sounds like a fucking psychopath. So he went to that house because that's where um, I think Dennis Wilson used to live at some point. And he had, like, all these brainwashed people that their brains were just melted from dropping acid every day. Yeah. And um, he went in and told them to, like, kill everyone. And it wow. happened to be Roman Polanski's uh, wife and house guest. Yeah. That's wild, So, dude. yeah, there's actually uh, – I could show you some episodes. Um, I think it was, like – it's this podcast that touches on the first generation of Hollywood. And it was just so interesting to hear about why Charlie Manson was, like – who he is because we all know like he killed people that's all i know but yeah. he was like a raging racist and a he wanted to, yeah he thought the beatles were like sending him messages in the white album god damn it and he was like oh they want me to make a record so i can reply back to them yeah no that's this like, guy was just crazy extremely yeah. narcissistic and drugged out of your mind yep. yeah so you know there's a the drug culture again yeah that far back yeah that's true i mean yeah drugs are prevalent in every genre of music drugs yeah. are prevalent everywhere like, everywhere yeah yeah except maybe christian rock yeah <laughs> <laughs> fuck christian rock <laughs> jesus never saved me <laughs> um but yeah uh that kid little peep that we were talking about yeah so i finally listened to his record because they, they were calling him like the new emo and i was like what yeah. the fuck is this did yeah. you listen to any of it Nah, i only watched like anthony fantano's like review of his shit okay. that's all i really knew so I listened to a couple songs and like there were a lot of elements of like taking back Sunday kind of yeah like, it the was, used stuff over trap beats I, and it kind of worked. It felt like middle school style stuff to me when I heard it. But well, that that goes back. to We were back in Sunday. middle school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, that's why he was like twenty one, I think, and it makes sense that like he had like the younger kids because yeah. now, now I'm like oh, I'm closer to thirty now. I keep thinking I'm twenty eight, but I'm twenty seven. But like <laughs> I I can I hear shit now. I'm like oh that's four kids 100 percent. right like, isn't that so weird yeah to think, like and then you go to shows like i go to shows i went to the Isaiah rashad show and like most of these kids were like high schoolers yeah and it makes you think like you have no control over who your fans are like you can try and cater to one age group but most of the time it's kids yeah that's i mean that's where you get make a lot of money like yeah kids coming out make you know? the kids do the marketing for you you know yeah they'll share your shit they'll yeah. use their parents money to buy your cds like that's why i worked for worked for so long yeah you know just drop kids off at some like east rutherford parking lot <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> pick them up four hours later yeah hopefully they haven't gone home with a band yeah Ugh. dude yeah Yikes. It's, it's fucking wild i mean there's so much more of so much of that has happened forever and i think it's finally gonna like all these call outs even though it's a lot and it's exhausting, I think it is a good thing. Like everyone, I think so too. Yeah, it needs to happen, and then like hopefully everyone can kind of level out. Like I think we're just in the shit storm of everything right now, as far as like call and just as far as like society. I think everything will level out again. We're yeah. all, we're all just adjusting to using the internet all t- together at once now. You know. Yeah, going back to how you were saying, you know, like 
suddenly we're aware of the things that happened in this village in India and Africa, and we're like, oh my god, those happening bastards! The whole time there was yeah. just like this blind bliss of the '90s and shit. That like I miss it. <laughs> yeah, everything just seemed better. You know, you could yeah. just fucking like do your shit. You do know everyone was getting fucking raped and like exploited and stuff, but it's sad that that'll happen, and it's good that we know now. Yeah. There's so many. Uh, it's it's just gross. Uh, let's yeah. talk about let's talk about your music scene. We talked about mine. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I wanted to be in a band for the longest time. Sure. You know, and I was in a band with like Kevin and Zach and Rishi back in the day. Yeah. And then, uh, I got kicked out of that band <laughs> because I was trying to do too much stuff. My mom made me do like a play at the time. See, yeah, but you I committed enough. To yeah, the band. exactly, and. I realized, like, fuck this. It's so much easier when it's only one person's thoughts and ideas. And yeah, it is. Politics and all that. Yeah. And you've been so involved in the band scene for not upwards of 10 years now. Yeah, I think, like, 14 years. How did you get involved? Um, I don't think I've ever asked you that. Yeah, so when I was, like, really young, when I was in, like, fourth grade, I started getting into, like, alternative rock, right? Which, I mean, everyone was because it was on the radio. Yeah. Which, like, we can do a whole other podcast about how it's not on the radio anymore. And I think that's damaged the rock scene. But um, yeah. I, eventually I got a whole – I got into Blink-182, I guess. That's what got, started getting me into, like, pop punk. Mm-hmm. And it was like, which member of Blink-182 do I want to be? And it was – I th- love me some Blink. Yeah, dude. Amazing. And I, I wanted to be Travis because he was sitting down and I liked all of his drum so parts. badass. Yeah. He, oh, my God. He's such an amazing drummer. Yeah. I don't, yeah. There's, like, a lot of people I hate on him. Like, no, I no. think he's great still. Like, Yeah. He always, like, he's really creative. I tried to finger drum to that stuff. I couldn't even do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's fu- he's fucking nasty. So then all I, I became obsessed. I had, like, a Blink-182 live album. I thought they were the coolest. I just wanted to start a band. Sixth grade, I do, like, a coffee house at my at Linwood Middle School. And I am um, I play Brain Stew with my friend. He plays electric guitar, sitting down, no strap, no distortion. It's not even in the right key. Yeah, and um, we play brains too. I play drum set. Then I just got involved at the music program at my school. Started playing around with more friends. By like eighth grade, uh, the one of the first like real bands I was in, Marlonisha started. Marlo. Yeah, Woo. that lasted like. You were um, a rock god. Some of us <laughs> younger kids, you know that? Uh, no, I didn't. But we all wanted to be your friend so badly. I remember that's like, oh shit, that's Joe. Like, nice. he knows Ian. Like, oh my god, the girls <laughs> fucking loved Ian. Uh, yeah, Ian is just kid. Dude. Yeah. No, I'm just. Oh, God. <laughs> Ian is his kid. He's still involved in the rock scene. He's gotten better at guitar, actually. Yeah, no, he does pretty well. He's in like New York, but um, he used to be your stereotypical scene kid. You know, the bangs that were straightened, the blue eyes, yeah. the high cheekbones, the tight ass pants, the witty like MySpace uh, yeah. t- name and like oh pro- probably I don't, I'm That's guessing, so but funny. yeah, it spells itself out. Yep. <laughs> he yeah he actually um he's in like a rock band now and they seem to do okay. So. Yeah, it's more like cater towards mainstream stuff. It's kind of like for the Ellen show. Like, I think they, I'm not even being ironic. I think they played on the Ellen show or yeah. something, but, um, you know, he's playing music. Back to you though. Can't knock it. Yeah. 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 Um, so you started playing with friends. Marlo played for like 10 years, very dysfunctional band. Was that your first real band? Yeah, I mean, what happened first that or taking, wait, best oh, of the worst, the best of the worst. Marlo was first. I was called you taking back Sunday. <laughs> Marlo was first. Marlo, but yeah, I mean, I played in a band or two before that, but they were, you know, as with my one friend Alex who got me into Marlo after. The afterwards. one with two other siblings, right? Yeah. Yeah, one of them Vicky was Vicky and Justin, yeah. Oh, no, different Alex. Alex Link. Lopez. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. I'm thinking, wait, 
There's multiple Alex's I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. So a- Alex okay, never mind. was one of the, is still one of the best bass players I've ever known. Like, wow. It pains me that I don't play music with him still, but we're still friends. And um, we did Marlowe, and then that went for a while. We had, you know, a pretty good run locally. Like, yeah. a strong local draw, Hamilton Street Cafe. Mm-hmm. And then, like, there was a reincarnation of the band at one point. Like when we were all older. Yeah, that was a couple years back, right? Yeah. I remember that. It ran like throughout most of high school. We had some labels interested, actually. We put out like some pretty good music. You guys? Yeah, I remember listening to a couple of the tracks and I was like, holy shit, this is really good. Like, Uh, for people that don't know, Joe is an amazing drummer and he's very (laughs) humble about it. He'll never toot his own. Yeah, I don't know. Cowbell. I, I can't. I feel like it'd just be disgusting. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, this is why I'm the best. You're yeah. you're an amazing drummer. Thanks, um, man. But yeah. I want to back up and slow you down a little bit. Okay. We, do we have time? Like, yeah. I mean, uh, I'll go. This can be a long one. Whatever. Yeah. I usually yeah. do an hour, which we're at now. We can keep going. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah. Um, let's let's dive in. So, how'd you start, Marlo? You know, like four high school kids, or was it five? Four. I was in eighth grade when it started. You were in eighth grade. Yeah. Okay. Because. As an outsider that's never been in, like, a really good organized band, it's, like, there's so many things that you have to worry about. Like, there's a dynamic, and then songwriting is an art of itself, and it has to be very focused. Yeah. And there has to be direction to it. There has to be some structure to it. Otherwise, you end up with a song that's, like, one giant verse. Like, in hip-hop, you know, like, once I figured out song structure and even pop music, like, it made more sense. But I can't even think about being in eighth grade, worrying about song structure and being, like, oh, right, like we need to carry this melody again because this is the main melody slash theme of our song. Yeah. Or like this drum pattern comes back for each chorus. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, how do you guys do that? I think post hardcore melodic, post hardcore, whatever we were playing, it's a formulaic genre and not necessarily in a stale way where it's like, it feels like it's all been done before, but just like you have certain things that are kind of vehicles in your music that Mm -hmm. you use to like kind of write. And as a drummer, I can just hear music and want to put a beat to it. So like I, I jammed with those guys once and I was like, man, those guys are really good. I hope I can like play in this band. Cause when, when I first started playing with Marlo, Alex was the drummer. Alex is actually a good drummer too. Wow. So we were just all kids that fucking ate up music all the time. Like I remember being like nine and my parents would be like, Hey, we're going to home goods. Do you want to come? And I'd be like, yeah. And I'd just be excited to get in the car with my Walkman. And I remember like, like like a 20 minute drive to like Marshall's or whatever. And I just brought like eight CDs. It's like, yeah, I have all my CDs with me. I'm ready to like drive in the car and go wherever. And they're just like, what, the, what are you doing? Like we're only driving for oh, like that's 10 hilarious. Minutes. So I was just always like very into music. When I was a kid, my parents listened to a lot of disco. Yeah. Like Whitney Houston and shit. Like nice. they're, they're like Brooklyn trash. So like they used to go to disco <laughs> clubs and like all that shit. But like, I really like like the bass lines of disco and like the vocals and the horns and shit. There's some good stuff, you know? Yeah. So, that got me into music when I was young. Then, yeah, I did Marlowe's stuff for a while. And we just wrote, man. We just got, we just fuck. it wasn't really calculated ever. Like what was we, that writing process like? Uh, smoke two blunts and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it, it, it's kind of riff based so, or groove based. So that, that was a band where we would all write together. One guy would bring something and we would all just build on it and loop stuff instrumentally and then like figure out how many times we need to put it in this song and then like do that vocals were always the last thing we never really cared about shit like that and how do you record these ideas at the time Ooh, do you like physically write things on paper and be like all right here's the tabs because it's weird because this was 2002 or three we didn't have all the technology that we have now like like you and i you know we fucking plug two mics into uh preamp and then 
boom, yeah, we can good. record in GarageBand. We're broadcasters we're now. We're broadcasters. Yeah. <laughs> so I think uh, Alex had Pro Tools, like a very old version of Pro Tools that he definitely bootlegged. And we would use that sometimes. And other times we would just go from memory until we had enough money to go into the studio. So the, f- oh. the first thing we recorded was the summer, I think, before I started high school. And um, that was like the first EP we did, which was like pretty okay, not great. But then we got a vocalist from that who was big in the Central Jersey scene who played in another big, a pretty big metal band that we looked up to because like we were fourteen, fifteen, and all these first guys, name or no? Uh, yeah, Ernie Trent, the, Ernie. this guy. Uh, he's guy. really good guy. He he sang in Marlowe for like four years. Mm-hmm. We looked up to all these guys because the, like you know these this is like the pure volume days of the music scene. So you go to purevolume.com, you can oh, see man. who's charting in your area. I remember this, that. this band from South Brunswick called the Dead Season. They were like melodic metalcore. Wow. And we play with them in like Heightstown or like Idron shows in North Brunswick or South River. Like I remember uh, at the Italian American Social Club. <laughs> yeah, man, it's funny. Like at school, they're like, "Oh, we're having a staff party at the Italian American Club." And you're like, I used to get really sweaty there and like watch kids rub up on each other. Yeah, I used to watch people meatheads start fights for no yeah. <laughs> reason just because they're nineteen and angry. Like hilarious. So it's just funny how you know. I, I mean, it's a hall. I use it for whatever, but it's just funny like that. I live, I feel like I live a double life sometimes because I'm like, you do. You know, teacher and then like not a teacher. So. Don't deny it. You do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so the singer of the dead season quits the yep. dead season, joins our band. We're all fucking stoked. We go to Tracks East and South River, record three songs. Now, the pure volume days are still going, but now it's kind of like MySpace days. Had you sorry to pause you? No, go on. Because I, I love hearing all the intricate details. You know, like part of my journey has just been like finding these stories about how people did certain things. So, this is your first time in a studio. The first time in a legitimate studio. Wow. Yeah. Before that, we just went to some guy who had actually th- that dude Jeremy who works at Jungle House now. He, yeah. He did the first Marlowe EP, but back then when we were thirteen, he had like shit. He didn't really know what he was doing. Yeah. But um, we recorded Tracks East, which is like where Hatebreed recorded Catch Twenty Two. Wow. I think like limousine like a glam rock band like a lot of bands had gone through there yeah like from the 80s and on and i'll never forget after we recorded the ep ernie went there to like get the the finals and the engineer said hey you have a really good drummer and bassist like wow. they're like oh those guys i mean alex are like 14 year old shitheads so like it was 14, cool to hear from a, from a guy that put out like are some of my favorite metalcore records or like hardcore and shit so, yeah um we put that ep out and how much were you guys paying for studio time? Do you remember? I think it was, how did you even come up with that money? We did three songs, yeah. and I think it was six hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> so, I don't know. Must have we must have made some money playing shows, saved up some allowance, Ernie had yeah. a job, split it. Later on, when we did our second EP, we were selling Rice Krispie treats illegally <laughs> in high school. I think I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> that's such a weird thing, like that and like candy bars. Yeah, remember? you just fucking sell candy in high school and it's fine. You say it's for a club and then you're just like making money. Yeah. <laughs> so we we made a lot of money doing that oh, too boy. for the second Marlowe EP. And then by that time, that second EP had come out. I think Alex had quit and joined like another band or something. But we were still going and doing well, and we had interest from some labels. Yeah. Like indie, but like they were like a stepping stone to bigger labels. Like yeah, for sure. Indianola Records was one of them, which was like a 
melodic metalcore label I looked up to who had a day to remember on it, like a day to oh, remember really? earlier stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. And uh, like a, a bunch of bands from that time period that had like similar sounds. And they were mm. interested. They were like hitting us up for demos and stuff. And how did those conversations go? Like, do they actually come to you with some type of game plan or do they just, do they just say, they hey, just we shopping. like you? I think because we were still in like a forming, we were still like incubating. The, we were all 16, 17. We weren't on the road. And that's what a lot of labels want to see. They want to see a band that's doing dates on the road, yeah. which is not like something from we, first to last, you know fucking sonny moore is like 16 he's just like toured yeah that's what you have to do you need like everything kind of needs to be in the right place but you gotta have music that's hitting which our music was doing well like on myspace and like in the scene and shit like people knew who the band was but we were 16 17 so the most we do we'd do like a weekend my two of the shows would be in jersey and one would be in pennsylvania Mm -hmm. that's it like the farthest out we ever went was six hours to altoona pennsylvania which is like near Pittsburgh. Yeah. That's like, and I was like 16 and our van broke down on the way home and we got stuck and like oh, all this man. shit. Yeah. I remember I had, and I had history class. I had Joel Chesler and I had like a big presentation. I remember Mr. Chesler. He's yeah. still there. Uh, actually, uh, I'll tell you off the pod, oh, but boy. I don't think he Uh-oh. is. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I don't really know. Oh God. Um, I, he might be, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. You were saying? So we never toured. And like, did you have a manager at the time? Like, nah, we did it all ourselves. Jesus Christ! Yeah, I, I'm just amazed by the fact that four fucking teenagers were able to get this organized. We were. It was so. It was such a dysfunctional band, though, man. Like, we In were lucky. Way? We had that Ernie Ernie Trent. To, he was our fifth member. He was our singer because he was older. So he was like the camp counselor that got us all together. So he was kind of like that de facto manager yeah like I, I i eventually did a lot of the booking but he was just kind of like the face he's the front man so he's like yeah. the face of the band kind of we just wrote the music yeah so it, it was fun but it was like kind of dysfunctional because we were kids like who's fighting who spent band money on mcdonald's and blunts like you know Would that happen yeah it was never me but yeah. <laughs> you look guilty <laughs> yeah so it was just like it was it was a lot of fun i really like the music we made still so eventually it fizzles 2008 yeah we had a fight writing ernie quits you had a fight writing yeah i think that's what eventually did it but ernie had quit the band and then shit slowed down because none of us knew how to really be like i would try to be proactive but no one else would be in what way like i'd try to book shows and be like hey we should try to like do this or tour like we really need to write an ep i'm always the guy in the band that's bugging everyone to get their shit together so. Which explains why, you know, you're doing what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, which explains why all my bandmates are always annoyed with me. Like, oh, what's Joe going to yell at us about today? That's awesome. And that's why you're now a teacher. <laughs> yeah, you yell at kids now and boss so, them around. Um, going back to the the kind of fizzle, like, what what went wrong writing? Like, you... We just didn't agree on a part one day and, like... And that's it? Something and someone got simple. in a fight and then it was, like, someone got hostile. And oh, then we just didn't play for a while. But then we did a last show that did really well. And then, like, a year later, I get a call from one of the guys, like, we need to play again. So then the second Inception... What year is this? 2009 or 10. Okay. That's the second Inception of Marlo Nisha. Yeah. We played for two, three years. We had a vocalist. This kid was whatever again. And we probably wrote three or four songs. That dude, Jeremy, he recorded our first EP. By this point, his studio is very stepped up. He puts us on his quote-unquote label and gives us free recordings. But that Inception of the band only lasted two, three years. We had a second vocalist after we kicked the first kid out not ernie we had like two new vocalists after this second guy was like a heroin addict which slowly uncovered itself over time oh geez because this at this point we're all 20 21 and this guy's 25 26 so so now we're talking like 
2011-ish? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that inception of the band fizzles. I don't even think we broke up. I think we just kept writing more music. But then Gabe and I start singing. And that's kind of when the band started doing well again. It was 2011 to like 2013 or 14. Yeah. We were all like New Brunswick based at that point. Gabe starts running house shows on Lewis Street, mm-hmm. which is like the best way to curate a music scene and like build your own band up is like if you can run shows and book the people and build a community around it. Mm-hmm. So we do that. And the band does well, like in New Brunswick, really. And we get booked out of state a little bit. Like, I think we played Ithaca and like maybe Philly. I don't really know. But we we, we were just playing music we like. We're not yeah. really trying to tour. Eventually that fizzles out and then the band just stops pretty much. So, Rip. Yeah, rest in peace. <laughs> I don't think we'll ever play again, honestly. Why I talked to them all on their Just because it's dead or? Well, Gabe lives in Portland now. Oh. Alex probably hasn't picked up a bass in two Maine years. Maine or Oregon? Oregon. Okay. So he's far. Yeah, yeah, that's But I, I hit him up recently. I'm like, dude, send me any guitar loops you have, and I'll just play drums to them. There you go. Yeah, I miss playing with the, those guys. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm playing. I'm playing with other guys now. From Marlowe, I started. I still play Best of the Worst, but I started playing with In Angles and Invalids. In Angles was sick. Is Thanks. sick. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, still doing it. Uh, and that shit keeps me busy. Invalids is cool because the one singer Pete, he's been doing it for like eight years on the internet by himself. So like. He built up a fan base. He was the songwriter. It was never a live band. It was always an internet project. Kind of like a, a Max Bemis say anything. Yeah. Kind of vibe. Yeah. 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 This way more fucked up math rock. Yeah. Uh, or like Dave Grohl, Foo Fighters. Yeah. Yeah. So how I got into Invalids was like one year I just got out of a relationship and I was like, man, I got to not be a piece of shit now. So my New Year's resolution was to do one drum cover a week, which lasted for about five, six weeks. But the last one I did was an Invalid song. And uh, Invalids has, like, program drums on a computer. Uh-huh. So he writes them in Tabit, which is, like, a MIDI composition software. Yep. And then he converts it to real drums, and then he changes the velocity so it really sounds like a real drummer. It doesn't yeah. just sound like, ga, 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 ga. Yeah, that's, that's one of the biggest things I've learned as a producer is, like, how to make drums breathe you know yeah you have to it can't just be all compressed and all just yeah, super yeah, eight hat, hats can't be you know all the same you know? yeah yeah you gotta shift them a little bit <laughs> yeah. i'll notice that in like trap beats that sometimes like just aggressive hi-hats like 30 second notes and just it's like, like this isn't realistic <laughs> yeah but yeah um so he threw these into tabit and then what how do you get hold of them or what do you just I, play by ear? i just learned it by ear i learned i learned two songs by ear and then yeah. i started practicing and now he sends me the tabs and i kind of learn off the tabs which is actually what i'm doing this weekend because we're, we're recording a new invalid cp in yeah. two weeks and it's going to be the first one with real drums and i'm just like sweating i'm like so nervous about it because like it's like i'm going up against the fucking computer so it's like yeah i have to make sure i'm nailing it so that's been occupying like the past two okay months. you have a heart you know you'll win yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I don't know, man. AI is taking over. Hopefully they won't go all McDonald's on you and just be like, mm, you want 15 an hour? Here's a robot that can do your job. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah, seriously. Man. So, yeah, I mean, still keep it busy. That's pretty yeah. much That's my start in the music scene. I'd say around my, the first show I ran was 2005. There's a clip of it on YouTube. It's at the Italian American Club. Mm-hmm. And it starts with a guy yelling, Who's fucking talking shit? If you're talking shit, go fucking home. Because a fight broke out at the show. Oh, God. Because there was like an Edison gang involved. I don't even fucking know what happened, but I'm 14 and this is happening. Like 20-year-olds are coming to punch guys in the face at the show. It was really dumb. That's like the the worst thing of like that scene of music. It's just the fighting and shit. Venues still get shut down from fights. Really? Yeah, you just got meatheads or angry people or people who think (laughs) hardcore is about punching someone in the face. Yeah. And I think to an extent it's there's something about like moshing where like you, you know you're supposed to 
have that fear like hit someone but like it, it doesn't fly as much now and like i would only do it if i was in a room full of people that i knew i would never hit someone i don't know you know yeah i remember like being scared just being like okay i'll like bounce off these people Maybe that's good enough. Oh, oh, this guy's swing now. All right, let's go to the like, corner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it kind of ruins a lot of people's time. But, hey, it's better than guns. Yeah, that's true. You know, um, that guy, Cousin Stiz, he he was on tour. He just played in um, Atlanta recently, and two people got shot and killed, actually. Oh, damn. And, like... At Masquerade. At the Masquerade Club. Is that where that was? Yeah, in Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. I heard about that. I played that club before. Really? It just like reopened at a new location. Yeah, but... I heard it was in like a kind of iffy part, you know, and like, yeah. I don't know, it's it just tough. It's tough on artists when, you know, you see that happening at your own show. Yeah, because that's like, what, what you do you do? Want. Yeah. yeah like... You're like, no, I'm doing this for good vibes. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, there can be a certain emotion or like energy about it, but like, you bring a fucking fist or a knife or a gun, and it's like, shit. Yeah. Did I do this? Like, it's yeah, never crazy. the person's fault. Like, I remember after there was a shooting at Amy Schumer's film, she felt like it was her fault. Oh, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, like in the movie theater, someone, like, that's what kind of made her start being a little bit more careful with what she said and be like... Oh, yeah? I think it really fucked her up that there was a, like, shooting at a screening of her movie, but... How recent know, was this? This is probably, like, three years ago. Oh, shit. Whatever okay. movie. I don't think it was Trainwreck. It might have been. I don't really... I'm not that familiar with her yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm not but, either. <laughs> yeah, so... I just know people don't like her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not not my style of comedy. I'm a big comedy fan, but... Uh, have you heard of uh, Louis C.K.? Yes. I really like him. Yeah. <laughs> great guy. <laughs> I, I mean, but but really, though, like, people loved him for a very long time. So now yeah. to say... He, he was be, so candid, and then it ended up being true, and then people were like, oh, fuck, we laughed at all his jokes about yeah. masturbating. He always seemed like a sexually demented person, in my opinion. You could just... His jokes were about like angrily jerking off like you know it, it it's a kind of a reflection of i guess who he was I, th- yeah. I think he'll make a comeback though yeah i think he will i think there's a difference between the sexual assault he did which was not physically threatening ever and being a rapist but i think it's just like it's you need to need some time to settle because it's still fucked up what he did 100 percent. but he, yeah he didn't rape anyone you know yeah thankfully there in there is a difference there and they're both they're both fucked up but there is a difference so you know it's a bummer you did that shit i'm still waiting for carlos mencia to come back (laughs) do you remember that whole thing (laughs) yeah about him stealing jokes yeah Yeah. so one podcast that i listened to a lot just to pass time at work because i get stuck doing a lot of excel bullshit yeah which you know it's okay but the podcast definitely makes time go by easier easier is um it's called tiger belly Okay. And do you know Bobby Lee? He's yeah. Mad TV. Yeah. Dude, he's so funny. It's him and his girlfriend and then their engineer that they got that ended up being part of the podcast and his stories about the comedy scene coming up. And oh, like, yeah, because it was L.A. He's at yeah. the comedy store, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, his stories are just phenomenal. Yeah. So shouts out to them and definitely give them a listen. But he was talking about how like he used to be best friends with Carlos Mencia, like, Mencia took him to Honduras where his family is from and like wow and then this whole falling out happened and it was just really awkward yeah and well, Mencia still tours too he was at the stress factory kind of recently yeah what like a few months ago does he just stand there and not talk <laughs> and let people boo at him for like a 15 minute set throw tomatoes like thank paid. you bye <laughs> yeah yeah I guess still he has pretty a, clutch I guess he has a set I don't know it's hard to bounce back from shit like once you're publicly defamed it's hard yeah. to really yeah but that's what Bobby Lee was saying. He was like, 
like someone asked him point blank, like, do you think he could make a comeback? And he was like, you know, honestly, I feel like if he came up with a lot of original material and pitched it to like a Joe Rogan and then eventually Joe gave him like thumbs up or thumbs down. Because he was the guy who really yeah. know, called him out. He was a whistleblower. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, from there, like a Netflix special or something. And then that could bring him back. But who knows? Yeah. It's tough, man. Fall from Grace is weird. Yeah. You know, I'm waiting for mine. Yeah. I mean, I don't do anything wrong, I don't think, but I don't know. I'm waiting to, for something. I feel like if what I'm saying. Why starting, do you feel like that? I, I just feel like everyone eventually is bound for something to happen. That's how I kind of think now. Something can happen, like, but, you know, if you have nothing coming to you, I don't think it will. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really the people who, like, like yeah, the music scene, you know, every every career has its moments where you have to not literally but slit someone's throat to get in front of them or get ahead yeah you know and i i don't know personally if you've done that but you know Try like, not to. <laughs> like, i'm thinking of like kanye west with the whole taylor situation like what you would consider that a fall from grace you know yeah. and then he made my beautiful dark twisted fantasy and everyone was like this is a sonic masterpiece yeah and yeah he like came back up but then that became part of his brand you know yeah but with uh sexual assault way different yeah uh, that's like carlos mencia it's like you could come back, but how? Yeah, he's pretty shunned. He he's still working. I I just feel like have having opinions is dangerous sometimes. And I feel like if I do these podcasts, even like I don't know. No, uh, I mean I, I'm not, I don't I don't, I don't think, I'm not saying anything wrong. Like yeah, I see what podcasts. you're saying. Like I'm not a I don't think I'm saying anything that's really shitty. But it's just like I don't know. It's, you could spin anything and yeah. I, I meant to say no, as in like no like. Going back to how you said, you know, any press is good press. Yeah. But it all boils down to what you're doing with that energy that you're getting from other people, you know? Yeah. Because even people like scrolling through a feed and clicking like on your thing, your post, whatever, that's some type of energy, you know? That's true. And then fuel some fire, you know, whether it's your, like, creative fire or, like, just your marketing fire. Yeah. And then depends on where you go with that. Yeah. You know? So keep being free. Keep speaking your mind. It's important because so many people are told what to think, you know, and too many people are sucking dicks these days. <laughs> not, not literally. It's just like to, and I'm guilty of it too. Like, I'll be like, oh man, like I loved your record. Like you want to talk about it? Like, can I interview you? Yeah, we should talk about your blog, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Because well, you, you do run a music blog. I, right? I do run music blog. It's called the Neil show. Yeah. Uh, is that like a spinoff from your radio show? Was that, that called the is, Neil show? Yeah. Okay. So I did a radio show at Northeastern for like four years called the Neil show. And it was so much fun. Yeah. Just having all that studio equipment and, you know, playing whatever I wanted and like, yeah, man. talking to random people, occasional interview. It was good. And then college ended and I was just like kind of sad. I was like, uh, going back to studying people and sucking dicks, you know, <laughs> that guy, Tim, that manager, what he did at BU was he had a radio show. Yeah. I mean, uh, no, he had a music blog, and from there he started networking, and he actually booked Chance the Rapper for his first Boston show Sick. at BU. Yeah, and uh, he started doing ciphers, like hosting ciphers for people, and that's where like Michael Christmas and Cousin Stish showed up. Right eventually. on. So yeah, he he gets a lot of credit, rightfully so, for starting that scene. Because he much. was working it. Yeah, yeah. He he was just he was working the scene, and he was organized. Sure. Which are two big things. Yeah. You know, and so I was like, I was kind of in a rut creatively. Because, uh, long story short, just you can do a hundred covers, but then once you start writing your own material, it's like a whole new ball game. 
Yeah. And so that was one of the biggest things for me to overcome. And um, I was trying to network because I wanted to, I realized marketing is big. You need to have a network because who you know does get you somewhere. Sure. And so I was like, what the fuck can I do? Like, okay, like I can tweet about shit. Uh, nah. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do a music blog. And I remember just reading all these articles like, blogs are dead. Are blogs dead? Blogs are cool. Which blogs you should follow? And I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to do one. It's like, how much does a shit cost? Like 50 bucks? All right, let's do it. Let's get yeah. a domain. And so I started with the Neil Show and I, I took that Facebook page that I had. I already had like 100 people following and I just converted it to, you know, from radio show to Dude, like a blog now. A music blog, yeah. Yeah. And um, I remember thinking like, okay, like what do I have to do? Like I need a hand recorder. Okay, got one. I bought one for like 100 bucks at Guitar Center. Nice. And then um, I went to this Isaiah Rashad show, actually. And I had reviewed a couple albums. I reviewed his album. And, you know, like, my style was like, okay, I'll talk about what each song was like, the best part of each one. Because, you know, you got you to cater to the people and the generation that we're in where people want things so fast. I can't snap very well. <laughs> but It's coming through on the It mic. sounds like me throwing a dick at a wall. But <laughs> flat, flat, flat. <laughs> um, so I was like, all right, I'll just give them, like, little highlights of each song. Maybe they'll, like see something that really speaks to them, read something that speaks to them, and then say, all right, like, I'm not going to listen to this whole album, but I'll pick these songs because Neil said they were good. Cool. And then I'd give it, like, a little final blurb and then, like, a rating. And so I went to this Isaiah Rashad show. I actually fucked up because I was in between paychecks when the tickets were starting to sell out, and I didn't buy a ticket, but I bought a VIP pass for, like, 40 bucks or something. So I got this shirt, and you got to do a meet and greet with him and him and his manager were so nice. And I was like, Hey, like I have some cash, but I didn't get to buy a ticket. Like, could I give this to you? And he's like, Oh yeah. Just like ask my manager. And like, they let me into the show. Cool. Super nice. Yeah. And so I asked him at the, um, at the beginning, I was like, Hey, like, do you think you'd want to do an interview? And, um, he was like, uh, and I was like, no, no, it's fine. You know, I was trying to be understanding. Like he's been on the road for like two months already. Yeah. He has four more months to go. He probably doesn't want to. That's fine. But then I saw his two producers that he worked with were there. They're also his friends. So this guy, Des Sanders, um, I was talking to him a little bit, and he's, like, really quiet. And then at the end, I remember, like, this was at the Sinclair in Cambridge, actually, mm -hmm. which is a great venue. I love it. They have, like, you walk in, there's a hallway, then there's an open room that has the bar and the merch tables, and then you just walk up some steps, and it's the stage and that area. And so I remember, like, the first show was going on, and I, like, I loved it. It was great. And then I come back down, and he was doing two shows that night. So I just kind of hung out, and then I was just, like, there, and I had my hand recorder on me, and I kept looking at the merch table, and I was, like, waiting for it to clear up, and then it finally cleared up, and he was still sitting there selling merch. And I was like, hey, man, like, would you want to do an interview? And he's like, yeah. Nice. And so we fucking sat down, and we just talked about production, and it was great because the whole angle that I want to go with for my blog is the backside. <laughs> oh, nice, dude. Hell yeah. The behind the scenes. Yeah. The butt of hip hop, you know. Because, yeah, you have all these venues, uh, not venues, uh, all these channels that do, like, interviews with the actual lead singer or yeah. the face of whatever the personality. Group. But ultimately, yeah. a good artist is his team sure. or her team. Yeah. So, uh I, I like to talk about production as a producer myself. I like to talk about the story behind how things happen. Like, we just had a little baby interview where I talked to you about and asked you about Marlo yeah. and your songwriting and all that. And I just love hearing all that stuff. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, there's so many great stories behind their favorite songs or albums. Yeah. And so we had a really great talk. 
and I remember toying with the idea of like just putting the audio up there and I was like no like it's so disorganized you can barely hear it hear it so I just typed it up transcribed it and put it on the website and like it got some good reception and then um I did more album reviews and I remember just like reaching out to people and a big thing that happened for me was one of my good friends from school well she wasn't a good friend she's she's a good friend but mm-hmm. she's not a good friend. You know, does sure. that make sense? Yeah. She's a good person. Okay. And uh, she works for this uh, PR firm that did Boston Calling. And so I was like, hey, like, how do I go? It's blog. Like, how do I get a press pass? And she's like, oh, well, you got to have these numbers. And I was like, okay. So I started doing some Facebook ads and, like, got some numbers up. And then I like, sent that to her every month. And then at the end, she was like, I remember Boston Calling was in May. It was like, March or April, I think April, and she was like, all right, you've been approved. And I was like, oh, shit. And, like, I bought a ticket at that point, so I had to, like, resell my ticket because the press pass got me in. And I was like, all right, let me contact all these hip-hop artists. I did a couple, like, write-ups just to, like, hype it up as it was coming, like, hip-hop at Boston Calling. Cool. And um, no one hit me back, uh. which is fine. I remember just, like, hanging out back there in the press tent and just, like, looking like I was doing shit, you know? Yeah. And I see, like some artists are doing like interviews uh do you know mac demarco Have yeah i heard him yeah he was so funny he did his interview with some harvard kids in a porta potty nice like three of them were just in there yeah um, but i was like all right you know like don't let this set you back too much no nah, yeah that's gonna you're gonna get snubbed man yeah and um what she did that was super clutch shouts out to kelsey for this she gave my email to all of the labels so yeah. they all email me every time some new shit comes out. Right on. A lot of it's like pop bullshit, but one of them is from 300 Entertainment, which is like Lior Cohen's label. And like they have like Young Thug on there. Um, and they had this new guy named Mir Fontaine. Okay. He's actually from South Jersey. He's from Canada. Can't, I read I read the interview you did you with did? him. Yeah, oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, thank man. you. It means a lot. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I listened to his song because like I, I got a couple emails and he put out a song. This is smart on his part. He called it Frank Ocean. Yeah. And he interpolated part of one of his songs. I think it's off of Nights from his uh, last album, Blonde. And he made a music video for it. And he, it was just like a catchy song. It was good. It was, was kind of different, like a sing-song, like a little conscious. And I was like, all right, this is cool. And then uh, I got a couple more emails, and I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to send an email. And so I emailed back the publicist, and I'm like, hey, uh, I run a blog. Could I interview him? And she was like, let me see what I can do. And I was like, oh, man, something's about to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I was pumped. And then finally say, yeah, we pick a date and time. And like 10 minutes go by, 20 minutes go by. And I'm like, oh, shit, like they ghosted me, whatever. I guess it happens. And I just sent an email to the publicist. And I was like, hey, is this happening? And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, like it should be happening. And she emailed his manager. And then I get a call. And they're like, hey, this is uh, so-and-so, the manager. Mir is right here. Cool. And in the beginning, like it was a phoner. Yeah. So for people that don't know, a phoner is a phone interview, which is really hard because you don't have the dynamic that you and I have in, in the same room. Right yeah, I'm nervous about people that want to do the podcast via Skype because I feel like with yeah. the, like half a second of internet lag, we're just going to talk over each other the yeah, whole time. Yeah, and then you do that 10 times and then suddenly people are like turned off. Yeah. Um, so we had many moments like that, which is also why I chose not to do that as a recording, but a transcription. Sure. But uh, it was a beautiful interview, man. Like, he opened up. Like you, you can see that. Some of my good friends that read it, they're like, yeah, in the beginning, like, his answers are very short, not very calculated. They're just very generic. And then he opens up as I ask more probing questions. So 
due diligence on both fronts. Yeah. And um, it was just great, and it got him a lot of good press, and it got me a lot of good press, and I was just like, I was rooting for him. Like I still like connect with him every now and then. Cool. Just say like, good job, man. He like likes my comment. You know, that's connecting in this yeah, day and age, yeah, right? Yeah. But um, yeah, like that's that's the type of thing I want to do. Like I talked about his come up story, you know, rather than like explain every song on your newest record. Sure. And like we talked about like labels and like all that jazz and yeah it was good and that's that's honestly what i want to do for other artists i just want to be like a launching pad for them cool and so in the boston scene there's a bunch of people that i was trying to you know get to sit down for an interview and a lot of them said no and then some of them were like yeah yeah like we'll see what happens and then some people like try to monetize it and it's like that's not what this is about man yeah. chill it's like either you do want to do it or you don't I just don't yeah and like, this is gonna sound really weird but i want a bad interview Okay. Just so I can feel that, you know? Because yeah. I think it's important to feel both sides because I want to have a shitty interview where it's like, I don't even know if I should put this up. Dude, I've had those. I've yeah. had one podcast I did with a band that they asked me to scrap. But one podcast I did with the band, like, just was so, I felt like I was interviewing them, like, so what are your names? Where are you from? Like, yeah. it was just so fucking lame, dude. Cringy. But they weren't, they weren't really giving anything. And there was like yeah. seven of them. So and that's just, the worst. I feel like I gave too much description because there's only 10 choke artist podcast episodes. So now yeah. it's like, someone can listen to all of them and see where the bad one is. But yep. <laughs> I might do that later. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I really just want to keep going and keep building this network that I have. Cause once I have my own music and stuff, I can be like, Hey, like, by the way, by the way, like check this out. You know, if you don't like, it, that's fine. If you do, let me know. Yeah, it's all about making genuine connections. Where exactly. You're like, you know, and you be cool with people. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to go sh- go meet people at shows and like, I have my little home studio studio where I invite other artists. Nice it's man. Happened like once. <laughs> yeah. But that's um, the way to do it though. It seems like you're taking the right steps. I thank you. I yeah. appreciate. That. I'm I'm doing. You know, like I need to be a doer, and I realize that because if I'm just sitting there thinking, like I get too in my head, and then I get anxious. Yeah. So I need to just fucking do something. There, there's this. A quote I read recently, and I don't know if I necessarily agree with it, but like, there's two kinds of people: people that create and people that consume. Mm-hmm. You know, like you take content in all day, yeah, and not put any out. And I, I think you take, can do both. Yeah, but to an extent, it's true. Yeah, whichever you do more of, that's the person you are. So yeah, you know, I'm trying to create a little Look more. Look at us talking for an hour and a half. Yeah, man. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, Neil, the Neil Show. The Neil Show, yeah. And Neil Badra on SoundCloud. Yeah, check me out. Yeah, if you want, we can. I can slap on one of your beats at the end of this too. Yeah. If you have anything that you want to, yeah, show. I'll play some stuff right now and then cool. off air and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's check some Maybe shit out. next time you're up in Boston, you hop on my show. Dude, yeah, I should be up in the spring actually. So yeah, we'll dude, do it. it'll be cool. come over. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. Cool. Okay, cool. Thanks, man. Yeah.